Welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup. Audio nourishment for both the heart and mind. With Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. If we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. And this means we must develop a world world perspective. perspective. Martin Luther King Jr. No, I need to read more to write more. And I know I need to see more. Yeah, no more. Well, hello, Tave. Hi, Brian. Wow, you are so tan. And look at that henna. Did you go to India or somewhere <laughs> exotic without telling me? No, no. I went back east to Martha's Vineyard. Oh, the um, vineyard. Yes, yes. It's a beautiful island off of Massachusetts in Cape Cod mm. for my dear friend Robin's wedding, who is also a member of our ever-growing Peace, Love, and Soup family. That's right. We interviewed her for our Mother's Day, episode five, right after she'd given birth to her son, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Remzi. Yes. And boy, does she and her husband, Raj, know how to throw a party, let me tell you. It was an absolutely gorgeous beach wedding. Days and days of events. And the food, forget about it. Most importantly, was there any soup? Uh, <laughs> well, do you remember Robin? I mean... Oh, um, that's right. She said she was not a soup fan. She's not a soup fan. She does love her wine soup. But <laughs> yes, there was a 24-7 open bar wine soup. So fun. I actually have to admit, I drank a lot of Robin's wine soup. <laughs> It was so much fun and full of love. I met so many wonderful people, all of whom I invited to join our Peace, Love, and Soup party. Well, speaking of community and sharing peace and love, that's what we're emphasizing this month, since the ever-important International Peace Day falls on September 21st. And how are we going to honor, encourage, and celebrate peace this episode, you ask? Well, we are going to talk to my friend, peace educator, Wintry Witt-Smith. She's spreading peace education worldwide with her Peace Village Global organization and curriculum. And she's got some simple and super helpful superpowers to promote peace for all of us. That's a lot of S's. I know. (laughs) I'll give you one of them right now. Stop. Take a breath. Be calm. Be kind. Isn't that four? (laughs) (laughs) you are a funny man well but yes it is for technically but you just package them all together into one little tip and that's really not asking very much is it no 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 not at all and and also i'd recommend that everyone make this month's one pot minty garden pea and coconut milk soup which you can serve cold tepid hot however you like because who knows what the weather's going to be like, right? Exactly. On any given day in September. Especially in the Northwest. That's true. Well, anyway. as usual, we will educate and entertain you with our Did You Know and nutrition segments this month on peas. And adding to the audio nourishment will be the musical stylings of Those Willows, a talented band from right here in Portland, Oregon. the message, second guessed it, readdressed it, but I know no more. Well, let's get this peace show, or should I say, this episode that we call Peace Soup on the Road. The world of peas. 
The pea is a small spherical seed contained within a pod. Each pod contains several peas. I always think of babies that are dressed as those little pea pods oh, at yeah, Halloween. Yeah. How cute. Pea pods are botanically a fruit and are a cool season crop grown in many parts of the world. Green peas were one of the first cultivated crops, dating back many thousands of years. Unfortunately for them, ancient pea eaters were unaware that peas could be eaten in their fresh form and solely dried the legume before consuming it. This is pretty entertaining. These dried peas, now called mature peas or field peas, kept famine at bay in the Middle Ages. It wasn't until the 17th and 18th centuries that immature peas, also known as garden peas or English peas, began being eaten right after they were picked. They were considered a luxury of early modern Europe. Fresh pea soup is a staple meal in many parts of the world, including Europe, Russia, Iran, Iraq, and India. In Sweden, it's called atsopa, a traditional meal predating the Viking Age of the 8th century. In North America, a similarly traditional dish is split pea soup, though it's made from mature peas and usually includes ham. In Hungary and Serbia, pea soup is often served with dumplings and spiced with hot paprika. Yum. Here are some traditional pea dishes from around the globe. In India, fresh or frozen peas are used in various dishes such as alu matar and matar paneer, while split peas are used to make dal. In the UK, two popular dishes are peas porridge, made from dried yellow split peas, and mushy peas, made with marrow fat peas. The peas start out dried and are then rehydrated and mashed with baking soda to soften them. I had never heard that before about using baking soda to soften peas, and I'm going to use it with all of my beans now. You are? Mm -hmm. I am. Sugar peas, which the French call mange tout for their consumed pod and all. No, no. It's impossible. Sugar, sugar, sugar peas, which the French call mange tout for their consumed pod and all, were introduced to France from Holland in the late 1500s. Très bien. Très bien. Continue. Sugar peas, as well as the flatter snow peas, are used in stir-fried dishes in Asian American cuisine. And Brian, in China, they even include the stem and the new growth leaves in their dishes. And in North America, milk made from yellow split peas is produced for people with allergies to tree nuts, dairy, and soy. Or maybe you just like the taste. You know, I don't hear any advertising about pea milk, do you? I don't. Yeah. They're probably trying to figure that out. Maybe milk they should call it the... peace milk. Ooh. All right, America. Get on that. Joining us today in the studio to emphasize the peace and love in Peace, Love, and Soup, we have Peace Village founder, Wintry Whit-Smith. Hello, Wintry. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. We're so delighted to have you. And maybe we will even talk about soup at some point. Ooh, possibly. <laughs> so, I hope. So each summer, I have the pleasure of working alongside Wintry in the Peace and Justice booth at the Oregon Country Fair. And I'm hoping you will share with our listeners, what is Peace Village? Sure. 
Peace Village, we have several components. Summer camps for children, 6 to 14. We have school programs and after-school programs, and then workshops that teach four core tenets, conflict resolution, mindfulness, media literacy, and connection to nature. And we teach those through all of our programs. We have 26 camps currently across the country. And then in November, we'll start our first international camp in Um, Kenya. And when did you start this nonprofit? The first camp started out in Lincoln City in 1995. There had been a horrendous bullying situation that, um, sorry, pretty bad bullying epidemic where a boy was sent to the hospital. And so a minister from the UCC church there said, I want to do something to address this. And he contacted Pacific University, where I major in peace and conflict studies. I walked into my professor's office and uh, he literally hung up the phone and said, want to go to the coast? And we went out and we started the camp along with my colleague, Elizabeth Wilson. And it's been going ever since. We became a nonprofit in 2003. Okay. Touching on what you mentioned earlier, Peace Village uses what you call four tenants to teach the power of peace. Could you elaborate on them? The mindfulness, connection of nature, media literacy, and conflict resolution? Absolutely. Really, it boils down to when we find that sense of calm centeredness within ourselves we can go out into the world in mindfulness we find that right we practice through some meditation yoga every camp does it a little different some do tai chi qigong walking meditations all different kinds of ways to just slow down and reconnect with yourself we like to say we give kids a tool belt of things they can actually go out and use so conflict resolution teaches specific communication skills listening we do a lot with nonviolent communication talking about needs and wants in connection to nature of course that goes back to one being a steward of the earth but two when we spend time outside we feel more peaceful and then we added media literacy later and People always kind of scratch their head and say, how does that connect? You know, when we first started, we taught about what are advertisers really doing? And let's learn to deconstruct media and advertisements. And now we really teach about social media and using it for good. Mm -hmm. It's partly about just being a good digital citizen. And that's where a lot of bullying seems to happen is online and things that people wouldn't do in person because they know it's horrible seems to be able to still leak through in this digital realm. So I love that you are addressing this. Yes, we talk a lot about being an upstander, right? Standing with a person who's been targeted. I was just telling kids, what if you see something online and you all go and post positive things and make a person feel good. A hundred comments of good things are gonna eclipse the bad. And you know, if we can just remind kids and, and each other. Well, and also with the world of texting, they can be so misread. You can want to say the most loving thing, but then it's interpreted as the opposite. Well, and I think that goes back to some of our conflict resolution. You know, yeah. so many of these things overlap in teaching. Remember in media literacy, we talked about this. So when we're talking about communication, check in. Did you understand what I was trying to say? Even on text. Sure, right? sure. People have changed going through your well, workshops? Absolutely. They can tell you one thing. Just the other day, my seven-year-old, we're driving home, and she was upset and crying and screaming in the car. And we get home, and she goes into her room and shuts the door. So I went in to check on her. I opened the door, and she's sitting there meditating. And I just thought, this is working. What we're doing yeah. works. yes. We have kids that started at six and are now bringing their children and come year after year after year. I'm tearing up. 
Where are some of the other places that you have camps? Well, so we have 10 across Oregon. Ohio, there are several. North Carolina, California. We're just starting one in Virginia. And hopefully, I just got an email. Someone outside of Charlottesville contacted me and said, okay, what can we do? How can I start a peace village? Which felt wonderful to know that people want to do this. If somebody were interested in starting a camp or starting a peace village of their own, what would be the steps they would take? The first thing I think would be to check out our website, peacevillageglobal.org. We've got a video on there and some information. It tells you everything you need to know to start the camp, and then it's all the lesson plans for all the classes. And then you can actually buy the curriculum right there. You sign a licensing agreement saying that you'll abide by the tenants. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they can email and call with questions, but it's ready to go. And then do people say, well, now check us out and see how we're doing? Some do. What's really exciting, especially with Kenya now, is linking all the villages at different camps. They're all singing the same song, and then we can make this big video and share it. With Going International, the kids get pen pals started, and it's just so wonderful to see these connections, and that's how peace is built. Do you find that in the current climate of turmoil that people are seeking out Peace Village more, or is there always the same level of interest? I feel like it's definitely increased. As I said, we had the person in Charlottesville contact us after what happened there, and we had a school contact us and say, After Trump was elected, our bullying rates went up. People would just walk by and say, Trump, wall. Fortunately, what they did was contact us and say, let's get the whole school involved and let's talk about this rather than just penalizing the students that they see doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, let's change the whole culture of the school. The school programs, those are actually taught in the classroom as part of the regular curriculum. Correct. We just did our pilot project out in Newburgh which started as anti-bullying training. Mm -hmm. Then we're now writing a curriculum for in-class and then after school. So that's heartening to see. For Peace Village, we are fortunate that any community that has a camp, that's a great segue into getting it into the school so the kids are not just getting it, you know, one week a year, but all school year long. I think they should have this in every middle school and high school. It's hard work and it's constant work. All religions are welcome. All religions are welcome and are taught. We try to bring out speakers who are Muslim and are Buddhist and are Christian and are Jewish and Native American to come and talk. And what's wonderful is they're all saying the same message, Mm -hmm. right? They're all saying peace. Mm -hmm. We had a man from the River Sangha community in Salem. He's a Buddhist monk. And he said, I want to teach you all the four powers. These are superpowers you have, right? And he said, first power is to stop. The second power is to take a breath. The third power is to calm down. And the fourth is to be kind. Oh. Yeah, and the kids were talking about it after. We have these powers. We can do this. And that's what I love. Kids leave Peace Village feeling empowered. Wonderful. Stop. Take a breath. What was it? Be calm. Be calm. Be kind. We okay. can all do that. I'm going to incorporate the Ayurveda we learned last month, and I'm going to breathe through my tongue. <laughs> to cool down. I teach to, the to kids cool that, too. Do you really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like a melting pot of all things good. And there's so much we can learn from all different cultures about peace and how to act towards one another and interact with each other. And that reminds me of when we were at Community Village this year. Yes. Our letters of love. What are these? Well, the idea came from after the Women's March, people started writing postcards. You know, maybe it was thanking a senator or 
telling their feelings about how they felt about the new administration. So we took this idea and said, well, let's do that at the country fair, but let's keep it positive. Then we wanted to go broader than that. So we said, let's write some to refugees, welcoming them. And then we also said, write a love letter and send it to somebody or hand it to someone you don't know. And it was so great. We got wonderful letters. Fabulous. Can you recommend any other simple things that people can do to affect positive change in this month of peace? You know, I think when you're talking with somebody, really listen. You know, we spend so much time just waiting for our turn to talk that we're not hearing what the other person is saying. And then to try to repeat that back, to really make sure you understood. You know, that kind of goes back to that confusion about text messages. Mm -hmm. But if we really listen to one another and we use our four powers and we just stop and take a breath, things are really going to, I feel like they'll change. Also, you run into people that are so busy with their lives that they just... They're not in the moment with you, whether it's on the phone or in person sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just got to slow down and be with that person. Exactly. So, Practice empathy. We all just want to be heard and we just want to connect. It boils down to that. Well, the whole part about community, right? Yeah. We are community. And as we get more and more disjointed digitally, I think there's a part of us that really seeks out that physical contact and eye-to-eye contact. Absolutely. And just really being present with one another. My favorite quote from Mother Teresa is, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. That's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. So let's look out for one another. And when you help others, that does provide you with such a increase in joy in oh, your absolutely. own joy right just donating yeah. your time or just giving a hug or a smile smiles go a long way people yeah exactly <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they do a couple of years ago when pokemon go when i was teaching at one of the camps i said okay we're gonna play kindness go you have to go out and do kind things and that. then you get a point for everyone come back and tell me how that. many points they got so into it and the next day they come in and say i have this many points you know it's fun to make it a game but we can do it anytime all the time we can always play kindness go exactly Mm -hmm. there's this month's t-shirt kindness go kindness love it go (laughs) what would be the most profound thing that you have experienced being a part of peace village yourself i mean every moment it's so wonderful i'm going to tell you though um so the Lincoln City Camp, the oldest groups, the 12 and 13 year olds, go off on an overnight and do a rites of passage. Then the next day, it's the graduation and all the parents come. And this year, one of the 12 year old girls stood up and read this poem that she had written during the night and shared it with everyone. And it was, it, everyone was in tears. She got it. She was talking about, we're going to wish on the stars tonight. And one of those wishes will be for world peace. And I just had this moment of really, that's what we all want. Maybe we feel disempowered or we don't know how to do it. And it was just such a great reminder that we can learn the skills and we can do it within our own community. And if enough of us do it, it's going to happen. It ripples out. This man, Jeremy Gilly, started the International Peace Day. And he said, what if we had one day where there was no fighting, there was no war. Let's start with one day, can we do it? And so he chose September 21st and he travels around the world and you know it's become the International Day of Peace, but it's also a day where it's a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And again, if we can all start with that day and then spread out, it's possible, it really is possible. It gives me hope for the world. Me too. Um, we're changing our name to Peace Village Global to reflect the work throughout the world now. So 16 years ago, I started a school in Kenya, just south of Mombasa on the coast. 
So I had several people asking, can you bring Peace Village to Kenya? And we're going to run the Peace Village camp at the school, but we're also inviting students from a teacher's college to come and children from an orphanage near Nairobi are going to come down. So our first week will be a training on how to do the camp and then the second week will be the camp. So inviting those other people in will then start more Peace Villages the following year. The instructors you're talking about bringing in, they're from Kenya as well. They're They're all from Kenya. Mm -hmm. They've said students during the school break months, November, April, and August, there's not a lot to do. And sometimes girls come back pregnant and then they Mm -hmm. don't finish school. There's not a lot of opportunity for jobs. Mm -hmm. So this is a great way to improve the economy. And for this facilitators, it gives them something to put on their college resume Mm -hmm. and go to college. And then these students come back and say, I'm a peace educator. You know, here's a new wonderful job. And everybody I talk to says, oh, we need peace education. I'd like to think mm-hmm. everywhere, but certainly Kenya is telling we us do. this. We need it everywhere. Just today I found out there's a large group of Syrian refugees in Beirut. Mm-hmm. And we're talking with some people about going to Beirut. We also have interest in Ethiopia. We think we'll have a camp there the following year. And Ramallah, Palestine. Wow. Whoa. So we are getting out there. Well, we've already talked about peace and love. Now let's get to the soup portion of our podcast. I like how you're thinking. <laughs> I mean, we feel like we have to talk we about soup. Talk about- so Wintry, do you have any soups that you specifically like? Oh gosh, I love soup. I make mm. it all winter long. Mulligatani is a favorite. I think the kind we eat here is what the English brought back from when they had colonized India. Uh, so Mulligatani is a translation from pepper water. So there's peppers, lentils, and rice, and apple, and carrot, and celery, and onion, and then chicken, maybe. Oh. And it's kind of a whole meal that you just soupify. So good. We'll oh, have delicious. to throw that on our list Oh, and coconut do. milk. Really what about... Put? Yes. I, I see the light bulb above your head. Look at it go both off. The, both of us, you our eyes you... are shining. <laughs> Again, with the synchronicity. We talked about this like an hour ago. Let's put some coconut milk in our fresh minty pea soup. Yes. So I know being married to a man from Northern Ireland, you are familiar with minty peas. But especially mushy peas. It's very Northern Irish. So this month we're going to make a minted peas soup. Oh, it sounds delicious. Mm. And we're going to use fresh peas. Mm-hmm. Mm, even better. Any thoughts on that? Um, I actually do. I used to have a little preschool in my home, and one day we were making garden flags, and I said, what's your wish for the world? And one child said, I wish for peas. And peace. Well, yes. It's, so do we. Well, with that, tell people where they can find out more about Peace Village. Sure. www.peacevillageglobal.org. You can also find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Peace Village and Facebook at Peace Village Incorporated. Wintry, thank you for the loving work you do in the world and for helping us spread it through peace, love, and soup. Wait, Wintry, I don't want to go. Now, Brian, she has to get back to her children. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and being able to talk about it. You're, You're listening, listening to Peace, Love, love and, and Soup. Did you know pea grading involves sorting peas by size, in which the smallest peas are graded as the highest quality for their tenderness? Did you know green peas stand out as an environmentally friendly food? 
Agricultural research has shown that peas belong to a category of crops called nitrogen fixers. With the help of bacteria in the soil, peas are able to take nitrogen gas from the air and convert it into more complex and usable forms. This process increases nitrogen available in the soil without the need for added fertilizer. Did you know Canada is currently the largest world producer and exporter of peas, growing approximately 3 million tons per year. France, China, Russia, and India are also large-scale producers of this legume. Coincidentally, India is also the world's largest importer of this food due to its high population and consumption. Wow! Did you know only about 5% of peas grown are sold fresh? The rest are sold either frozen or canned. And then I love this trick. Did you know the classic way of cooking garden peas is to line a saucepan with several leaves of Boston or bib lettuce and then place the peas on top of the lettuce? Kind of like a bed. You can add fresh herbs and spices if you so choose. Then cover the peas with more lettuce leaves. Add one to two tablespoons of water, top the pan with a lid, and cook for 15 to 20 minutes. And after which they should be tender and flavorful. Mm. So tasty. It's almost like you're returning the peas to their pod. You're recreating the pod with a bed of lettuce. I know, a little top and bottom. It's like a little bunting for babies. <laughs> and finally, for all the lotion lovers out there, sweet pea blossoms are distilled to create an essence for many body lotions, soaps, and perfumes. Oh, sweet peas. Red chair, face the center. Quiet room where the woman enters. Brian's Kitchen. Oh, hey, Tave. Welcome to my world. And we are going to be making our soup for episode nine. Yes, ah, I I think I had my oil on a little high. Sorry about that. Maybe I'm going to turn that in a bit. We today are making a minty garden pea and coconut milk soup. I'm so excited. When Wintry mentioned coconut milk in her favorite soup, we're like, let's put coconut milk in our pea soup. It'll be a nice twist on the fresh garden pea soup. Starting with two small yellow onions, two stalks of celery, two cloves of garlic. Are you sensing the pattern here? Two, two, two. And that goes into two tablespoons of olive oil that we heated up. And we're just sauteing those in the pan until they're fragrant. Uh, We should mention this is a one-pot meal, so super simple soup. Just started off sauteing our vegetables in that same pot that we're cooking the soup up in. The theme of twos, it makes me think of that, what's that saying, two for peas or peas? Isn't that like a song or something? Oh, it's tea for two. (laughs) But now it's peas for two and two for peas and me for you and you for me. And then we'll see how happy we will be together. Oh, 
white god we're also going to go into recording soundtracks for peace love and soup tavi that was awesome she's a professional singer if you don't know this she has a band i do i have an all-female merle haggard tribute band it's an eight piece and uh, we call ourselves girl haggard it's ladies playing outlaw country all girl all merle but this was an original piece for two song you had just on the spot created for the show our show yes and it was inspired by you brian delaney <laughs> But tea for two, right? That's a very British thing. Yes. All right, so here's three cups of broth. And now I'm going to take 20 ounces of fresh peas and I'm adding them into our stock and sauteed vegetables. You could also choose to just use frozen peas if you want to make it simpler. And then we'll just bring that to a boil, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. That should cook them enough, but we'll test them at that point. And if we need a little more cooking time, we'll, we'll simmer for a bit. So what are we going to talk about while we wait for our vegetables to softly cook? Well, one of the things was that because we're in this transitional time of year, September going into the fall, we could make this soup and then keep it warm and eat it as a warmed soup. Or at the very end, we could chill it and serve it cold because we're never sure what we're going to get here in September. And That's an excellent idea. Ooh. So there it is, starting to boil. I think the peas like the song, actually. Look at them. They brightened up. Let's taste those peas and see if we're ready for the coconut. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe you need to taste and see. I, maybe they do need to cook a little more. Hmm. I kind of think it's perfect. You do? Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's time to add a cup of fresh mint. And since Tave's garden was out of peppermint, we're using spearmint. And then we're doing uh, a half a teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of white pepper. So this is our first time using the immersion blender on the show. Yes. I've been dying to brit this out. I stole it from my mother's kitchen when I was there last Christmas because she barely cooks anymore. And um, I knew we were getting into our soup podcast. I'm like, we're going to need this. And then, yes, we're just going to immersion blender all this till a nice smooth consistency. Brian is really going to town with the immersion blender. Look at how creamy it is before adding the coconut milk. It's so bright green. And now we're going to stream in our coconut milk. Yeah, so sort of like stirring it in, but we're using the immersion blender as the stirring stick. And it should be noted that we are making this as a vegan soup. If that's not your thing and you would rather just use yogurt or creme fraiche for that matter, go ahead. I think that looks perfect. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's definitely right where it should be. How much coconut milk was that that you drizzled in there? It was just a cup. Yeah. It's funny, even before we even added the coconut milk, just probably the starchiness from the the garden peas created its own almost like milk look, right? Yes, and that's reminding me of uh, the milk that they make out of yellow split peas. Yeah, exactly. We're actually at the point where if you were going to serve this as a cold soup, you could just put it in the refrigerator and chill it now. Or you could leave it set out and serve at room temperature. Let's go for the room temperature. I like room temperature. Uh, So Brian, how are we doing with this soup? I think it's ready to serve it up into these beautiful little glass cups that we have and take some lovely photos and then get back to tasting. Well, I went ahead and I took the coconut milk and I made some designs on the top of ours for fun. So Brian has one with a heart and I have one with a peace sign. And then we garnish with a little bit of fresh mint and also some slivers of coconut. Delicious. Tavi, what do you think? Let's see. I think it's fantastic. 
I think the proportions are really right on. There's definitely enough mint, but it's not overpowering. We certainly wouldn't want something that tasted like chewing gum. And I like that there's those fresh garden peas. I think we've really got the taste of summer going into fall. The coconut milk was a nice addition and it is very mild. Mm. Um, I might be inclined to add a little more salt myself. We did go lighter on the salt on this recipe. But but what do you think? Let's hear more about what you think this month. Did you see Get Out, that crazy movie? I didn't, I want to. Oh my God. Well, when you do see it, this will make sense. Right now I'm taking my spoon and I'm, I'm tapping the edges of my soup glass. People out there that have seen Get Out know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, hmm. the combination of the light coconut milk and the consistency of the sort of al dente pea, it really tastes like there's lots of cream and a nut in there. I, I really like it. I, you know, it really does look a little bit like pesto. I dare say you could put it over pasta if you wanted. I bet it'd be delicious over pasta. And what are your thoughts on our serving at room temperature this month? This whole tepid temperature of serving a soup is new to me. I like my drinks cold, as you know, with ice and my hot food hot, but this is really nice. You know, we're sort of transitioning from our cold soups into our season of hot soups. So it's, it is perfect right in between. Um, I like that you could serve at room temperature at a potluck. You wouldn't need to have it piping hot. You wouldn't need to have it chilled. It would be just be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I might add, actually, because the peas were al dente um, and not soft, I would probably do this recipe in a blender and not with the immersion blender because the immersion blender really works well with well-cooked vegetables. It took me a while. <laughs> you really built up your arm muscles using the immersion blender this month. But if you wanted to cook your peas a little more, you could go ahead and still use the immersion blender. Actually, this will be a great soup for St. Patrick's Day because it's really pretty, pretty green and it has speckles of green throughout. And noticing again that we could use frozen peas and make it any time of year. I think it might be fun to serve at Christmas time too. Maybe you have like some sort of a red salad on the side or maybe with a little cranberry garnish. Oh, definitely. Well done. Good job, us. If you'd like to make this delicious and very simple soup, please go to our website, peaceloveandsoup.com. You can go there, click on our blog, boom, right to the recipe. Plus photos. Or email us and we'll send it to you directly, as we've been known to do with some of our listeners out there. Well, I highly recommend you guys try the soup out. Enjoy. Nutrition of Peas. One of the most ancient vegetables in the garden is the humble green pea. In their deceptively ordinary looking pods, peas pack a snappy punch of vitamins, such as vitamin C, A, B6, and K. And minerals like calcium, iron, copper, zinc, and manganese. While peas are starchy, they are high in fiber, protein, antioxidants, flavonoids, and lutein, which is known to promote vision and eye health. In modern times, peas are boiled or steamed, which breaks down the cell walls and makes them taste sweeter and nutrients more absorbable. A recent study based in Mexico City has shown that daily consumption of green peas, along with other legumes, is associated with decreased risk of stomach cancer. Few foods provide us with such substantial amounts of protein or fiber, with about 8 to 10 grams per cup. These outstanding fiber and protein amounts directly regulate the pace at which we digest our food, which in turn helps regulate blood sugar levels. 
In addition to all this, peas have been found to lower cholesterol levels and the risk of type 2 diabetes, as well as limit neuronal damage in the brain that causes Alzheimer's. And step aside, dairy, because peas even help build strong bones and prevent osteoporosis. You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup with Brian Delaney and Tade Fashe Drake. Well, the time has come to close our show, and we would like to leave you with two quotes by a couple of our favorite musicians. By Jimi Hendrix, When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And by George Michael. <laughs> Please excuse my singing voice. Um, but you'll never find peace of mind till you listen to your heart. I think you have been keeping things from us, Brian. You should be sharing more of your talents with us on a regular basis. Well, you know, just keep listening, people. <laughs> and finally, the song playing us out is one last track by Those Willows, and it's called Ghost on the Sidewalk. I think it's perfectly fitting for what's coming up next month. Don't you think, Dolly? Yes, I think it's totally fitting for next month because we will be celebrating the Mexican holiday, Dia de los Muertos. Oh, the Day of the Dead. That's right. Mm -hmm. And we are also going to have heartfelt personal stories written and read by you, our devoted listeners. And as a special treat, we'll be making caldo de rey. Mm with our guest chefs, David and Doris, of the wonderful Serrano's Taqueria in Southeast Portland. Mm. It's a classic Mexican beef and vegetable soup. It literally means broth of beef. It's got like a little corn cob floating in it and everything. Thank you, David and Doris, for hosting us. In advance. In your kitchen next month. <laughs> oh, you didn't know you are doing that, did you? <laughs> well, it's been recorded. It's happening. We better get our food handlers cards before then. <laughs> Done. Well, until then, peace. Love. And of course, soup. For more information about today's show, along with artist links, photos, recipes, and more, visit us on our website, peaceloveandsoup.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Peace Love and Soup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup Live. And a very happy Peace Month to you all. Here we are just two years after originally recording the episode that you just heard. And sadly, racism and gun violence are still leading the news cycle. We can't let this get us down, which is why we chose to rebroadcast this very episode. As Wintry discussed, we need to actively participate and foster peace and justice for all. Well, and in our small way, that's why you and I created this podcast in the first place, to celebrate all and encourage a community of kindness and creativity around our shared interests and also our differences. Tava, each summer you and Wintry volunteer in the Peace and Justice booth at Oregon Country Fair. She represents Peace Village Global, and you represent Siren Nation and YWCA of PDX. That's right. I look forward to it every year. 
And it's a delight to see the expression on so many different people's faces at the Peace and Justice booth. So we have everything from Siren Nation, which promotes women in the arts, and Wintry's Peace Village Global. But then we have Cop Watch and Peace Corps and many other wonderful organizations, nonprofits. What's a huge passion of mine is being able to showcase and talk about the great work that the YWCA of PDX does. And it's why I'm so excited to have Dara Snyder, the Social Justice Program Manager, with us here. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup Live, Dara. Hi, Dara. Hi, Brian. Thank you for joining us today to speak about social justice during this month of peace. Um, What does a regular day of being the Social Justice Manager at YWCA look like? not really a typical day. My appointments tend to be all over the place. Um, For example, this week I've had some meetings to plan an event around domestic violence in communities of color, which we'll be hosting for the fourth time uh, in partnership with culturally specific DV service providing organizations. I'm also meeting with a number of uh, private groups and organizations for facilitated dialogues or workshops around different social justice issues, such as uh, addressing racism, understanding oppression theory, um, diversity and inclusion. I'm also Uh, Today I met with someone from Gabriela Portland, which does solidarity work for people in the Philippines and our local Filipino community. So it it really varies Mm -hmm. from different ways of engaging with the community members around understanding and then mobilizing around social justice issues. And what I love is that this is stuff for Portland, but it's also stuff for outside of Portland, for people in the greater state of Oregon, as well as the United States and abroad. So thank you for that work you do. Oh, yeah. I think we all really need to be doing as much as we can right now. It's kind of clear, I think, to everyone that it's time for all hands on deck. For sure. Dara, what do you find is the most rewarding part of the work that you do? Oh, my. Um, (laughs) You know, the WISE mission is eliminating racism and empowering women, and these are both um, very dear to my heart. It's a very fuzzy line between personal and professional for me in this role. I'm very humbled to have a vocation that um, resonates with me so deeply. And I think working with a diversity of communities and particularly centering and uplifting folks who are most directly impacted by an issue or who have historically been marginalized or excluded from certain conversations is uh, so critical and always a, a lens and a framework that I use in the work that I do and how it's done. Well, it's just so very valuable in so many different ways. And um, will you please share with us how this important program got started in the first place? Yeah, um, that predated me by a year or two. I've been in the role for four years, um, but there was a need for training to DV advocate or aspiring DV advocates who need to complete 40 hours of Um, training to understand systems of oppression and particularly gender-based violence and how to dismantle those systems and support survivors and victims. Just to make sure that everybody knows, so DV is standing for domestic violence. Yes, thank you. 
So that's the bread and butter of the social justice program is a weekly uh, workshop, which is open to everyone um, on a different issue. We've had a great run lately. Um, this week we talked about impacts of trauma. Next week we're going to have a workshop on intersectional advocacy. Later in the month we'll have a session on working with immigrant and refugees. And uh, that's how our program got started. Years back, I attended a workshop led by your predecessor, Choya, who started the social justice program initially. And so she delivered this workshop. The focus was on white privilege, and it was delivered to a multi-ethnic audience, those of us scheduled to work the featured exhibit entitled Race at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, or OMSI. And it was really eye-opening for many, particularly for me and for those of us who appear white regardless of our backgrounds. And the fact that a privilege is given to us, whether we realize it or not, whether we asked for it or not, and this is regardless of our own identity. And it was just super moving and very leveling in so many ways. And um, I specifically learned that. But can you share with us some other reactions people walk away with from these valuable workshops? I think folks are really appreciative for the opportunity to talk in a safer and supportive structured space where we're, you know, concertedly gathered to have a difficult conversation, engaging multiple perspectives and uh, people coming from different walks of life and roles in the community. And folks report to me that they feel engaged and uplifted and uh, in a way that they often don't in a more traditional Western classroom setting where the dynamic tends to be one of imparting knowledge as opposed to really recognizing that the solution and the truth lies with all of us and our ability to work together to uh, create a more just community. Mm -hmm. These organizations and individuals that attend the workshops, um, how can other interested parties find out more about these weekly and or monthly workshops? Well, thank you so much for asking. Mm number of ways to get connected. Uh, I think the easiest might, way might be following us on social media. That's YWCA of Greater Portland. Um, our Facebook cross posts all of our weekly public trainings, but we also have a website, ywcapdx.org, where you can learn about um, our public trainings, the private workshops that I facilitate, as well as our other programs. And you are leading every workshop and private workshop, or do you have people that work with you and teach with you? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I am the facilitator for the private workshop. Mm -hmm. You know, any group or community might ask for an external consultant to come in and and facilitate a, a dialogue or workshop. But our weekly series, we collaborate with community service organizations and uh, experts who might be doing independent consulting to have a really robust series on a range of topics. I see. I know the why, this is like sort of my pet piece of it, but the YDBCA of PDX has so many wonderful programs. I know that there are five different areas, but would you kindly share a brief bit about them? Sure. Um, well, Broadly speaking, the social justice program does systemic change to kind of change hearts and minds and uh, do some legislative advocacy while we're at it. We also have direct service programs, including our domestic violence services, which um, we have Navigators at the Gateway Center, which is a resource hub for folks experiencing domestic violence. Um, We also have a couple different um, 
housing units for folks in need of affordable housing. We have senior services, which are based in Gresham, and that's a range of different kinds of services from clothing to um, sort of referrals for legal support. And we also have our newest program, which is the Family Preservation Program, which is located at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, and it supports mothers while they're incarcerated in um, maintaining and nurturing the bond with their children while the mothers are incarcerated. And as you said earlier, anybody wants more information, they can go to ywcapdx.org and see all the programs that they offer. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then here's a, this might be a tricky question, but what one thing comes to mind that one could do to actively encourage peace or social justice in their community and frankly, the world today? Uh, Well, I think I have a quote that sums it up. It's by Adrienne Marie Brown. And she says, where we are born into privilege, we are charged with dismantling any myth of supremacy. Mm -hmm. Where we are born into struggle, we are charged with reclaiming our dignity, joy, and liberation. And so I think this gets at the nuance of the fact that, you know, at least at some point in our lives, we will all have uh, some non-dominant cultural identity. And to the extent that we do have access to power and privilege or dominant cultural identities, um, that's the extent to which we can be centering, uplifting, and listening to people who are being oppressed based on not having a privileged identity in that way that you do. And then, you know, certainly there's liberation work organizing within our communities and communities of color or um, LGBTQ plus communities where um, we are born into that struggle and our work needs to be in self-love and community building and ultimately more broad collective liberation work. And I just heard this quote today. Supposedly it's a well-known one. I hadn't heard it, but it was any anything that deserves to be done deserves to be done imperfectly. And what that meant was, don't be afraid to act for fear of doing it incorrectly, because we need to step out, we need to step outside of our comfort zones, and we need to start doing this with an an open heart, but putting ourselves out there and daring to even do it incorrectly, because if we don't have these conversations, and if we don't actively start trying to make these changes, and even stumbling along the way, we're never going to get there. And I just thought it was so beautiful and just sort of gives us all um, a a little bit of a pass and also a little bit of encouragement. Thank you for sharing that. And okay, finally, the last and toughest question. Oh, Um, boy. What's your favorite soup? (laughs) (laughs) So peace, love, and soup, obviously, it's about soup and audio nourishment for the heart and mind. We use soup figuratively, but we also use it literally, too. And so it's also fun to get an idea of, the different people we talk to, is there a specific soup that they like? And if so, why? And so that's our question for you today, Dara. You said you're not looking for a literally a soup? It can be. <laughs> we are, we it are. can be. Yeah, it can be literally a soup. We will sometimes say, well, it's like this whole event today, like all of us getting able, being able to talk, the three of us together. In a sense, that's all of us in the soup together. You know, we're bringing our own little bit of spice our own perspective we're sitting around the table to so to speak together and while we're not eating soup right now now we're going to talk about it <laughs> so oh, yeah well my favorite soup is a gazpacho from zabar's which is a staple in uh in manhattan but um i love the analogy and i think it speaks 
not to assimilation, but really appreciating different cultures, which is what we have the opportunity to do in this country. Um, you know, you talk about needing permission to make mistakes, and that's certainly true. I think folks are really afraid. Research even says that, you know, say white folks are nervous, uncomfortable talking about racism, and I clearly find that in, in the work that I do. Hmm. Fear of saying the wrong thing or not uh, having the right answer or knowing enough, but um, not having the conversation creates more fear and division, and we know how that's impacting our community. So um, as uncomfortable as it may be, we clearly need to be in the soup together and uh, appreciate you inviting me into this. Thank you so much for being with us here today, especially on such short notice. Dear listeners, we called Dara just earlier today. Um, So we appreciate you fitting it in in between your important meetings and your very busy schedule. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't ask you about? Um, You know, I think I just want to emphasize it can get uncomfortable um, pretty constantly doing social justice work. But if you're comfortable, uh, I I don't think you're really doing it. Um, Mm. You have a lot of dominant culture identities. So also it's not about sort of just going to a rally once a year. Um, Things are extremely inflamed right now. And uh, I think allyship or accomplice work is work that needs to happen Um, in our personal lives and professionally, and there's room to do it every day. And it can look very, in any number of ways, from talking to our friends, uh, educating our children around our our history of of genocide and enslavement in this country to, um, you know, changing policy or practice at an organization and how it leads to uh, disparate outcomes for different marginalized groups. I just am speechless. You're just the poster child for peace, love, and soup here. And I thank you again for the work you're doing in the world and the work for everybody else um, from YWCA and PDX. So thank you from Brian and I here at Peace, Love, and Soup. Thanks to you, Dara, for being with us today and to all of you out there in Portland listening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Bye. If you'd like to donate, get workshop information, and or get involved, please go to ywcapdx.org. Please go forth this month, and every month for that matter, and spread the peace, love, and, of course, soup. Audio nourishment for the heart and mind with Brian Delaney and Tave Fache Drake. To find out more about us and listen to past episodes, go to peaceloveandsoup.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. At Peace, Love, and Soup. We're going to go out to another song by Those Willows called A Dream I Had off their self-titled album. You can find all their music on iTunes or stream top tracks from their website, thosewillows.com. That's T-H-O-S-E-W-I-L-L-O-W-S dot com. Or, if you prefer, check them out live right here in Portland or take a road trip and see them at So Far Sounds in Seattle, Washington. And finally... As Mintry Whitsmith would say, kindness, kindness go. go.